Welcome back to the Homes at Home podcast, the only Great Lakes podcast selling turnips to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's Sunday, May 10th, and I sit down with Rachel Heald to discuss being a woman in Quidditch. We talk about coaching, mindsets, the U.S. national team, advice, and so much more. Listen on. Welcome back to Homes at Home, the only Great Lakes podcast. I am your host, Matt Dwyer, the Great Lakes Regional Coordinator, and joining me this week from the University of Kansas slash Ohio State University slash the U.S. national team, it's Rachel Heald. Rachel, hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Not too bad, considering everything. How are you? Just just fine, just dandy. Uh, cut all my own hair today, so that was great. So handy, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I immediately, like, I cut off a chunk of my bangs, and I'm like, oh, I understand why this is a stereotype that, like, women generally have after a breakup. <laughs> Just going to cut my own hair. What did you go through to make you cut your bangs? Um, well, I, I, you can't, listeners cannot see me. I just, I, my hair was the longest it's been literally since high school. Uh, I've always kept it real short and it was just really bothering me. So I just figured that was a good place to start because the hair was too long to just use the clippers outright. So I had to use scissors first. Gotta do what you gotta do, I guess. Yeah. Desperate times. So let's first start off and talk about your journey in Quidditch thus far. I had a whole litany of names to list at the beginning of this podcast, so if you wouldn't mind starting off, how did you even get involved in Quidditch? So my brother played at KU, and actually when I was still a senior in high school, he he drug me to one of those practices at KU. I showed him played with a bunch of college kids I didn't know, and I thought it was tons of fun. I think he was just trying to recruit me to go to the same college as him because they're pretty good friends. But um, And then that following summer, the first time I actually played was in Midwest Summer Fantasy 2015. And I remember going, and I was on Austin Pitts' team, and he started me without really telling me any of the rules. And that was... Um, adventurous. Let's go with that. So I played at KU for four years, um, played on Stampede during the summers, and then I moved to Columbus uh, for grad school at The Ohio State. Um, And I played for Bosnia for a single tournament this season. Um, And then I was also on the national team. Uh, I traveled to Italy with them and also played in the Pan American Games this summer. And now I'm going to coach Cleveland Riff. Hopefully that happens. <laughs> Hopefully. And you've been all over the place. Which year was that fantasy 2015? Was that the one in Chicago proper? Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> That's got to be the worst way to start your Quidditch career. That, I mean, like, I don't know. For, for people who were not there or were not in Quidditch, it was not a good tournament. It was not well run. It was not, and I don't, I don't mean to trash on the people who did run it. I know they put in effort, but it just, ugh. we all look at, back at that one and don't feel good about it. I, yeah, I didn't know anything about that. I was just happy to be traveling to Chicago when I was only what eighteen. I was like, this is so cool. I'm traveling with my brother to Chicago. I was so young, so naive. <laughs> <laughs> So you uh, you played four years of undergrad at KU, including 
some pretty good finishes at nationals. I believe the best you got was a final four uh, finish two two years ago. Was that last year? It was my junior year. So two nationals ago, that actually happened. Yes. <laughs> what would have been this year? Yeah, that's very good. I That year, I had you guys going all the way. That was my, you were my pick. And then I purposely did not commentate the other semifinal, which I think was like NYU and Cal. Uh, and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to watch Kansas, Texas. This is going to be such a good game. And then you all lost and I was crushed. I'm like, ah, oh, so close. Yeah. That snitch catch that got called off was just a heartbreaker, but that's how it goes. We, we were so injured and tired. I don't know that it would have been good anyway. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. I, man, I have never felt as awful as I ever have after two days at nationals. For like, sure. I think it's taken years off my life. <laughs> yeah, and sunburnt, at least for me. So then you uh, you graduated KU, you were attending grad school at The Ohio State University and played for Bosnia for a single tournament. And you also joined the U.S. national team, and two summers ago I got to watch you and 21 other of our closest friends, or 24, <laughs> however many, uh, defeat... Who was it? Belgium in the finals. I got to commentate yep. that game. That was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of fun um, for being, I mean, in looking back, thinking about how little I still knew about Quidditch, um, like just coming off my junior year. Um, it's kind of amazing just being in that environment so young and surrounded by all those experienced and senior players. Whew. Yeah. That's crazy. The amount of talent displayed there is just, it, it, boggles my mind even though especially like the u.s national team i have watched all of you play at you know at international tournaments at the club level at the collegiate level in one way shape or form but every time i watch you all take the field i am enamored it's great yeah it's it's impressive and also exciting to think about as the sport progresses the level of play that will be consistent across the nation if people keep advancing the way that they do that that could be like the standard which is just amazing that is pretty nuts so what led you to join the national team obviously you're a stellar player you you know anyone just looking at you on the field clearly sees the amount of talent that you have what was what was that move like to try and get on the national team to be honest austin pitts uh mentioned it to me one summer when we were on Stampede and he said, um, you know, if I think if you work on these certain skills and you put in a lot of effort that the national team is a possibility for you. And um, to be honest, I didn't really know about it until a year or two before I applied. And I think it was mostly people around me saying that it's something I should try. And um, as I grew to love the sport, it was exciting, the idea of getting to play with new people that have been around for so long. Very cool. And as we mentioned, you took gold in uh, Florence in Italy for the 2018 World Cup and took gold again at the Pan American Games last summer uh, mm -hmm. down in Virginia. That was scorching. That was... The heat was bordering on miserable. The... Yeah, and the it was was it turf? I'm pretty sure it was on turf. Yeah, that was not awesome. That was what was bad was 
the ground was so much hotter than if you were just on the sidewalk. So last week, my episode, I talked to Rourke McAllister from Michigan State about their thoughts about a discussion that happened in the American Quidditch Discussion Forum on Facebook about a three-max rule, uh, how we talk about and treat female players, players who are gender non-conforming. There was a whole lot of conversation about that, and I don't mean here to rehash that conversation. I want to reassure listeners, but I did want to get your take as someone who commented on that thread, is outspoken, uh, is clearly a visible leader in the community who is both a good player and a coach, uh, you're recognizable and you have opinions. So I'd like to give you a platform to share them with the wider audience writ large in the Great Lakes. Uh, How did you feel about the discussion overall? I thought overall it was a very good productive discussion. Um, And to be honest, this idea of a three max and what the Boston Pandas are trying to do hadn't even crossed my mind before this, which kind of shocked me, I guess. Um, it was just, I have always accepted that it's a four gender max. And then those two other roles are filled by uh, females and gender non-conforming players. Um, so it's an exciting thought that that's where the community is hopefully going to head. Um, and it kind of led me back to start thinking about other co-ed sports that I'd played, like basketball. Um, whenever I've been on a co-ed basketball team, it's always been like two guys and three gals where you can't ignore uh, certain players. And so I think it's an exciting first step towards involving everyone. Yeah, you're making me remember now some like intramural sports in college and things like that. Like, I forget what I played soccer broom ball something where like women's goals were worth more than men's goals for co-ed leagues and that was right. like their way to make it equal and that i never liked that personally uh i i don't know that's it seemed i felt weird about it and i couldn't really explain it and i'm not sure i totally could now despite having much better like vocabulary and knowledge i was gonna it, i was just gonna say that yeah it's weird to make a goal by like a woman worth more because then you're still not trying to play at an equal setting. Like you're now trying to feed the ball more than you should. Um, So I think it's, yeah, even when rules like that are implemented, while it does intend, like they have good intentions, I still think it doesn't quite execute what we're looking for. I'll agree. Certainly. Uh, So I, I'll admit I never have thought about running a three max in like on a USQ team or MLQ either, probably because the majority of the past couple teams I've played for have been hurting for players who are not male. And uh, we, I guess we had a whole conversation about using the term non-male in the previous podcast. We'll try and tend more towards female and gender non-conforming or uh, my run DMC knockoff femme GNC. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's funny to exactly like two people. Thank you for laughing. We'll continue on. So I did, I didn't bring it up last podcast. I, I've talked to, and you can check the, st- check the facts. Jeanette High will vouch for me. We did want to do this at Great Lakes Summer Fantasy for the past two years, but realized that it would be a problem for 
players if we did not have enough of a particular gender. So we did on the sign-up form ask players for their gender and look at the breakdown, the little pie chart that Google's uh, docs or sheets or forms, whatever gives you. And we're like, okay, if we can get 40%, we'll do a three max rule and then people will just have to be you know, stingier with their drafting or like draft more carefully or whatever. You can't just slap whomever together. Uh, but every year we fell short of 40%, which is kind of sad. It hovered somewhere around 30 to 35%. And this year we didn't even get a chance because pandemic. And that always has bummed me out because it's something I, I wanted to try and felt that that would be more, you know, equal as we're, as we've talked about in this whole discussion and the discussion on the forums. But I think that points to a larger issue, which is something that you talked about on your uh, comment on that post and the subthread that followed about how are we getting women and gender nonconforming players interested, engaged, and sticking around. Right. Um, yeah, and that's something that instead of shying away from uh, implementing a rule such as three max, we should be looking at why we can't implement that rule in certain areas. And uh, I noticed it when I first started playing, um, when you come from a competitive sports background and you go and you try a new sport, it's exciting. You want to play a lot. You want to touch the ball. Um, but when you come from a competitive background and then all of a sudden you're trying a new sport and all you're doing is running up and down the pitch and you've been playing this entire time and you're not tired, um, it doesn't want to make you keep playing. It's not fulfilling that competitive side of you. I remember I actually invited a friend who was a really good softball player out to a practice once and um, she would be in great positions, but because um, the other players didn't know who she was, they were passing over her to other players when, when passing to her would have been the right choice. Um, and so I think that it's not necessarily that that makes a lot of women and gender nonconforming players not want to play, but it really makes the athletes not want to play. I totally agree. I can remember a very specific moment in my college career. Uh, my sophomore year, we had recruited a ton of people. So we had practices where we'd have like 40 some odd people on the field, like very early in the semester before everyone like started filtering out. And I remember someone from my dorm because uh, I was an RA, one of the people from my dorm, like, got very upset with me and ended up quitting the team because I had split the scrimmage into two scrimmages based on, like, the players who were doing better and the players who weren't doing as well. And I, and I didn't know any better back then. Uh, but she was an athlete and probably could have gone on to be pretty decent. Uh, but she got pretty upset with me that she didn't want to play with the players who sucked, basically. Which I think is... It's it's a mean way of attacking the same problem in that it was a frustration to her, not because she was being ignored, but because she was seen as lesser, which more or less amounts to the same thing, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, athletes just want to be good at what they're playing. I mean, I remember asking my brother why he joined Quidditch, and he was like, well, I'm bigger than everyone. It's easy to drive through people. It's easy to be good at. But um, if you're a woman coming into the sport and you don't have that opportunity to be good at it, um, yeah, you're not going to want to keep playing at all. 
totally understand that. So we're going to do something a little bit different on the pod today. Rather than having a discrete editorial and mailbag section, they're going to bleed into one another because, surprise, Rachel is super popular and we got like 50 different comments asking questions uh, of her and about her and everything in between. So we're going to take some of those uh, questions up top in the editorial section because a lot of them pertain to the conversation that we've been having. Uh, So we'll start here with Aaron Moreno who asks, what can we do as a community to better train female athletes? Um, So I really think that training female athletes starts when they first are recruited. Um, getting Getting down those fundamental skills of playing as a female athlete may be different than as a male athlete, those fundamentals. And like Grace had talked about in Ethan Sturm's most recent uh, midline episode, um, unmarked chasers, for example, have specific positions they need to be in. And I don't think that those um, skills and positions are always obvious when you first start. It's kind of like when you're little and someone hands you a basketball, when you're like six, they have to be like, here's how you pump fake or like don't dribble in the corner. But when people join I'm sorry, Quidditch, hold on. who is teaching you how to pump fake at six years old? Good coaches. That's, that's what was going on. That's why you're such a good athlete because some coach was like, I'm going to teach this girl how to pump fake when she's six. I mean, yeah, all the other six year olds will jump every time. <laughs> all right. You know what? That has given me a lot to think about right now, but please continue. Yeah, so when you're young, you're taught all these fundamentals and sports that you grow up playing. And then Quidditch, I feel like you kind of join the sport and they're like, all right, here's our strategy right away. And they expect you to just pick up. And I mean, there are things that you practice like running without hands on your brooms. But the small, um, the smaller ideas of positioning, like where you should be by the hoop, how you should catch the ball so you're ready to shoot every time. Um I think if you don't have those nailed down right away, it can be really hard to grow when you're an older Quidditch player to more deeply understand strategy. And so I think that a lot of female athletes, because they aren't getting those fundamentals locked down early because they're not maybe getting the ball, they struggle when they play on higher or higher level teams. Yeah, so they struggle when they get on the higher level teams because they haven't even locked down those fundamentals before they go on to be trained by, you know, elite players or what have you. Uh, Aaron also asks, what struggles have you faced as a female athlete in Quidditch? I think we've touched on this a bit, but if you have more, I'd love to hear it. And this, these struggles might be specific to how I play. So, and of course, I always come from a chaser standpoint. Um, But personally, I have struggled with playing with different groups of people as a female athlete because I think teams get really used to what they expect out of their female or gender gender nonconforming chaser or player. And I like to have the ball in my hand. Um, And so if I go and play with a group of people that are used to their female or gender nonconforming player being the unmarked player or off ball, Um, Like I've played that position a little bit, but that adjustment um, is difficult for me a lot of times. And I don't want to, but also I don't want to walk in and be like, all right, here's how I do it. You know, like that's not fair. Um, So for me, that's been the struggle is playing with different groups of people that are used to their female chaser um, playing in different positions. I feel like 
basically every team went through this phase and many teams are still going through it. It's kind of just like the off-ball chaser, like the, the free chaser, so to speak, is the girl and you don't need to mark the girl and like you just tell the girl to go down there and we'll lob it to you or whatever and then they don't do that. And like the one time they do, it's the crappiest throw, you're covered, and then you can't catch it. And they're like, well, obviously she can't catch, so we're just not going to give it to her. And it's kind of a way to like hide that like weak position by just being like, yeah, just go down there. Yeah, I always told my fellow um, chasers that were in my line with me, I like whenever they get a bad pass, I'm like, we call that the oh shit pass. The person that passed it to you is in trouble and they're trying to pass it to you to get out of a sticky situation. And a lot of times it puts you in a very bad position. Um, And sometimes people will nail you with that and be like, oh, well, she couldn't handle it or what have you. But it's and funnily, they probably couldn't handle their situation that they were in that gave them the bad pass. So really, it was their fault. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Aaron also asks, what advice do you have for female athletes with Team USA ambitions? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say, and this goes for any athlete, really, but self-reflect, watch film of yourself, and then watch film of players that you know are good. Like, watch film of elite players like Lindsay and Jules and Grace and Casey and... um, not necessarily to copy everything that they do, but see what's successful with their team. And like, for example, I remember one of the girls on my team, Cheyenne, wanted to learn like how to engage better. And I was like, all right, well, here's some film of Casey, like watch this. Um, but like, un- like self-reflect and critically watch yourself play and think about what you need to do better. I think too many people are like, well, if I do these drills, I'll be better at shooting. Like that's not that simple. Yeah, it's kind of Quidditch is in a weird place for that because like, you know, in like an established sport, like, say, basketball, which I believe you used to play uh, at, I mean, at least the high school level. I don't know if you played any like college, like intramurals or whatever. Yeah, I played some intramurals for fun. (laughs) Uh, But like there are I feel like basketball is a very well drilled sport, you know, like. There are plenty of drills for more accurate shooting, for getting a better jumper, for like better cuts, better picks and rolls, things like that. We just don't have that in Quidditch. And like we have a lot of good drills, certainly, but like there is no just like shooter drill in Quidditch, so to speak. Right, for sure. And I also think part of that is, yes, you could use that skill, but there's also beaters in the game and that just complicates everything (laughs) totally totally well very good advice thank you Jeanette High would like to ask what did you learn the most on the U.S. national team honestly I learned how much I don't know about Quidditch Um, I remember being in Italy and I when we went to Italy I played exclusively snitch on pitch And so I didn't have a line. So when we would break up and watch film, I would just kind of pick one. And I remember sitting down with the greats, Lulu and Max, and we were watching some film. And I'm kind of like watching it, but I'm young. I don't understand things. And I just remember like, it might have been Max just pauses it and rambles off like six different things they're doing. 
like what their intent was six throws before it got to this play and just realizing like self-reflecting and being like, okay, I need to work on me and like work on how I think about strategy. Um, yeah. So I'd like to pivot a little bit. We talked about you going to coach Riff this summer, if that indeed happens, which I hope it does. And the funny position this puts me in as the guy who helped coach Riff for the past two seasons, and we can all see how that turned out, uh, a perfect record, as we've seen, and you have a lot to live up to here. Uh, but aside from my own like self-inflation, how are you going to approach this? I think... Um, the best way to approach Riff is going to be just starting day one fundamentals. Um, talking about when you bring the ball up, what are you looking at and how do you react to those things? Um, as a ball carrier, um, what is the spacing that we want in a very general sense? And then obviously I'm a big defensive person. So we're going to run through our defense and our rotations every practice, nail it in your head. Um, I think just making sure everyone on the same page without even throwing in any fancy offensive sets or plays will do so much um, and will allow the athletes to just be athletes when the time comes. Um, And part of that too is because of the shortened season There's going to be very limited practices with the spread of our players. But I think just from day one, we have to get everyone on the same page before we can move forward into deep strategy. Um, So I do hear some rumors. You know, I I have my connections and everything that we've got some old players maybe coming back from the grave to come play who were very good in their day and maybe some strong-willed and strong-minded individuals how are you going to approach those players and integrate them into practices and your offense and defense and make them understand that this is how things are now? Yeah, I have dealt with that in the past too, because I think a lot of older players have also played in eras where if you're bigger and faster and stronger, you can score. And that's not how it works anymore. Um, And so I think it's working with those players and acknowledging their strengths and what they might want to do if we put them all in a line together and letting them work together. Um, But at the end of the day, being like, here's our team philosophy. And if you try that against, you know, Indianapolis, it's not going to work. And they'll quickly see that. And if you continue to, if anyone were to continue to, try and kind of go against our team philosophy. They just won't play. Um, I don't have a problem with that. That's very fair. And I, I admire that. That's strong leadership. And that's, I don't know, being put in the same situation, if I could make that work. Uh, I guess I have also had to coach or deal with more experienced players, players who are, I mean, most players are better than me, let's be honest. But I don't feel that I personally have ever handled those situations the best way. And I think you're, you're, you're making me sit here and question like all my coaching decisions in the past. Like, wow, what a straightforward and honest philosophy. Uh, And that's something that I think the team very much needs and the program needs in general. So that's awesome. 
That was a yeah. bit of a lead into our next question from Hannah Miller, which is what advice do you have for female leaders in Quidditch? I have a lot, but I'll try to be brief. <laughs> I mean, um, it, it can be a long podcast. I have no qualms <laughs> about I'll cut it into two parts if I need. If you if you want to just rattle off for the next 50 minutes, I'll just sit back and listen. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Um, so female leaders in Quidditch, and I will acknowledge that I feel like I have an advantage, and this may sound silly, but being a 6'1 woman, I feel like helps a lot. <laughs> like you're more of a demanding presence. Um, but I would say first thing, demeanor goes a long way with your players. Um so last summer with Stampede, um, in the past we'd have tr- we had troubles with people showing up to practice. Um, and when you have a small team, you can't just say if you don't show up to practice, you don't play because then suddenly you have ten players. Um, so I implemented saying if you don't show up to practice, you owe your teammates gas money, and I made sure that happened, and they respected that. Um, and so with demeanor, picking the times in which you are their coach and when you're their friend. And I think a lot of times women are too afraid of being seen as too friendly or easygoing. So they have that hard demeanor on a lot of times. Um, But you have to pick your moments, like command the pitch when you're coaching in a series, when you're explaining strategy and then be their friend if you're in line with them in a drill. Um, So I think that's one. Another one is to not be like you're their leader, right? You're not their dictator. So something that I really like to do is run a couple offensive sets. And then if things don't work out, stop everyone, make a little powwow. And we're going to be like, all right, that didn't work. And if it's your fault as a coach, admit that and say, yeah, that didn't work out the way I thought it would. What do you all think? What did you see? And not only does that make it seem, not make it seem, but not only does that create open communication within the team but it also allows your players to have input so they don't feel like they're just doing everything that you say very well said i think it's definitely a hard line to take between when you are the coach and when you are their friend because in literally every other sport your coach is usually several decades older than you you know and they strictly fulfill that role as coach you are seeing them at practice and at games and at camps and stuff you're not hanging out with them on the weekends you don't like go for a beer with them after practice or whatever i don't know maybe in adult sports you do that but like in in high school and maybe like club college sports but in quidditch almost all the coaches are your friends and they are your peers and oftentimes the same age or even younger than you. So that, I think you you reach a good point there about when to, how to delineate between those two options uh, in order to strike a balance is very important. Definitely. And it also helps if you have a good yelling voice, like a good coach voice. <laughs> it's kind of like how people have their teacher voice. You have to have a good coach voice so then they know. <laughs> What it, so is it just, is, does everyone have their individual coach voice that you, you like start off with? Like, this is the coach voice or is there like, do you have like specific intonations that you use that you feel people should use? No, I think it's just, um, have a commanding voice. I can be very loud and the people that I've captained or coached know that, um, 
versus like if I'm joking around, I'm not going to sound scary, I guess I should say. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. I've never heard you yell, so I I can't say from experience. Maybe I'll, I'll come, I'll stop by a riff practice or something and I'll listen to it and I'll judge for myself. <laughs> Jeanette High would like to ask, uh, how do we as a community, start acknowledging players, uh, i.e. instead of saying best female keeper, say best keeper on the team? I think that that has to go with the support roles of people on the team with you. Um, So, like, if you catch your teammates saying things like, oh, yeah, they're the best female chaser out there, um, maybe just ask them to reevaluate and say, well, what in compare like in comparison to all of the chasers out there? Um, but I also think part of that is the expectations that us female players put on ourselves. Um, I don't remember who said it. I was listening to a podcast like a year ago, I'm pretty sure. And there was this big point of you go out and you shouldn't try to be the best female chaser. You should try and be the best chaser. And so I think part of that is on our end making sure that we don't have low expectations of ourselves to begin with. That's a very good point. I I see a trend with a lot of your points that you make about these things that you, and maybe this makes you a good engineer, but <laughs> you seem to look at causality a lot. You're You're not looking at the problem or what causes the problem. You're looking at the cause of the cause of the problem. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I guess I see what you're saying. But, but that, I I don't know. I think that's exactly what we're talking about here because it's it's not just like, it's not just us saying, oh, we all need to change our language. It's like, we need to change our thinking to change our language to solve this problem. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Christian Barnes has our next question and would like to ask, advice for female captains on college teams, college teams specifically, and ways to support female athletes on college teams in practice. Uh, So advice for female captains on college teams would be to watch lots of film. Um, I understand you're in college and there are probably much more fun things you could be doing. But I think that that's something, at least in my experience, I did not watch enough film when I was in college. And um, I think that if more college players watched film, they would have a better idea um, of Like, when I say film, I guess I mean film of good teams and really, like, good college teams, Um, maybe good club teams. That may be a step too far, depending on where you are in your career. Um, But watch a lot of films so that you can bring that knowledge to your team so you're seen as a resource would be one. Um, And then ways to support female athletes on college teams. So I was talking to Curtis from Creighton about this. And he, kind of what we talked about before, in practice, he runs um, a max three set sometimes. And also when they scrimmage, he will make it so that the goals of his uh, women and gender nonconforming players are one point and his, the goals of his male players are half a point. Um, and he said that, and we kind of talked about that how obviously that's that would never work in a game but in practices that makes your male players get used to passing and using your women or gender non-conforming players 
more frequently. And I think that would build up that trust instead of like we said before, throwing that one pass. And if they don't catch it, then you're never going to throw it to them again. I think that's an interesting flip side to that. Uh, I like that we can delineate the execution there between we're trying to make it more equal in a game situation. This is, this is just another example of solving the problem <laughs> that of the problem uh, that you are you are going before it's a game time problem to make it a practice time problem. And I'm a big believer in you practice how you play or you play how you practice. And yeah, that's very cool. That's very interesting. All right, our next question comes to us from Nathan Digman. What is one thing that you see somewhat widespread across female players that could be helped by better attention from coaches? For that one, I would say part of it could be helped from a coach standpoint. Um, but one of them is having confidence with the ball in your hands um, in front of beaters. I think that's a big one. And also, um, if you catch the ball and then uh, not so advantageous spot on the pitch, um, I don't think we see enough female players able to get around that keeper that's running at them or make a quick move to get around that player and reset the ball. Um, so I think that that's kind of something that could be drilled a little bit. Um, but also part of that is I think that female players are sometimes uncomfortable with the ball in their hand because they're afraid that if they drive, they're not going to have passing options or they're not going to have the support of their teammates. So it's almost like trust going the other way, um, because I think a lot of times teams will use their female players to end a play. And so once you pass to your female, you're like, all right, they're going to score. They're going to not. And people stand there. Um, so I think um, I was watching film today, actually. If you watch um, Casey and Aaron McBride, they're very good at catching that ball, realizing they're in a poor position and running back to mid pitch and making like a pump fake or a first step to get around a keeper. So that's probably something that coaches could help female players with a lot. I completely agree. Confidence on ball and being able to not panic in a situation is a hugely important thing. I, it, it reminds me of a player that we had on my high school soccer team where one practice, my coach instructed me, I don't want you to get the ball. I literally just want you to run at this kid every time. And he was like some outside back. So, you know, they'd have him moving up between the defense and the midfield. And every time he got the ball, my sole job that practice was to sprint directly at him because he would panic and he would piss yeah. the ball away. Uh, and eventually we got him very confident on the ball that like it it didn't matter whether I run, ran at him or not. He had the trust and the knowledge and expertise to be able to make that play. So I really like that advice. Uh, and those are very good specific things to work on. I think that's another thing that that coaches can do better is specific feedback. And I know that I am at fault for this as much as any other person. Like it's, it's pretty it's kind of a non-starter to tell someone to just get better at throwing the ball or like work on passing, work on catching. Like that's, that's not very specific and that's not gonna, that's not like a, a line to achieve. There's no goal. People might've heard of like smart goals. Uh, that doesn't meet like any of the criteria of a smart goal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like not just working on passing, but how do you pass when someone's running at you with their arms up? Um, and those are things that you can drill so that they're second nature and it's muscle memory. 
All right, that'll do it for this segment. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we answer some more of your mailbag questions, some that are a little more personal and fun. And we are back. Matt and Rachel here. Uh, Rachel, let's dive back into this mailbag. Jeanette High would like to know, what is your favorite experience in Quidditch? Oh, gosh. Um, Part of me just wants to name an entire season. (laughs) Uh, My junior year, I was co-captaining KU with Rachel England, or London, people know her as. And that was the first season. We also broke out Keeper Rachel And we defeated Mizzou for the Midwest Regional Championship in the finals. Loved that. Um, And that was also our final four run. Um, So just that season, like, while I've traveled to great places with great people, um, going, accomplishing that many things in one season with a co-captain as amazing as London and with my team that I'd been with for three years, um, Definitely my favorite experience. All of it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's totally valid. And London, I got to hang out with her at one of the summer fantasies. She was just part of the group of people I was hanging out with for the time. What a sweetheart. I love her. She's wonderful. She um, won a national competition for her animation. I don't know if you saw that. Whoa. She's so talented. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Dang, I'm going to have to go look that up. That's exciting. (laughs) Nathan Digman would like to ask, what practice drill has transformed your game most positively? Oh, gosh. I don't know if it's necessarily one practice drill, but um, the Midwest, Matt Dwyer, and I used to um, meet before and after practice to work on my shots and, like, my moves behind hoops. Um, whether And that was both, like, overhand shots and push shots. Um, and he helped me a lot with that. And that gave me a lot more confidence, um, behind the hoops that I would be able to, you know, fake, um, the keeper out and make a shot. Shout out to my evil counterpart, Matt Dwyer. <laughs> Miss him. I, I need more nationals pictures with him because we would only see each other like twice a year. So we always had to make sure to get a picture together. <laughs> He's still in Kansas city. So he's yeah, just, if I'm ever just driving left. through. 12 hours yeah. from here <laughs> as everyone does at some point <laughs> drive through kansas city ben strauss would like to know the best players you've ever coached could be by skill coachability awareness knowledge etc oh gosh so well keep in mind i've only coached ku and stampede so ku and mizzou <laughs> um i'm going to say rachel england is one of them um she was also my co-captain though but i'm still gonna count it Um, she's just one of those players that is constantly coming off the pitch and being and reporting what she thought the other beaters were doing. If you suggest something, she's like, Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and also she loves to just like stand on the bench and scream really encouraging things. And I love that. Um, let's see. Another player would probably be Aaron Stout. I played with him on stampede And he's just one of those players that, you know, has played competitive sports all his life and just really has that respect um, for his fellow players and coaches. And not only will he 
do everything that you say, but will also come up with suggestions of his own. And I love that. Aaron Stout's great. Yeah, I've had the chance to play with him at Fantasy and just just playing with and against him and uh, just like being around him. I can see why he would be a key important piece of your team. Great guy. Most definitely. Danny Yacoub would like to ask, go to gas station for road trips? <laughs> um, I really like Loves. They're always so clean. <laughs> I don't I don't know do you <laughs> I guess I've never personally thought I guess I've just been like whenever I need gas I just get off and get it I do you seek out loves like if it's an option that's where I go I'm not like driving till I see one but if it's one of those stops where there's like three options I'll go into a loves and then my second answer would probably be Casey's just because they have a lot of food options. I've never heard of that one. <sighs> okay. Well, if anyone has, they have great pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I think if 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 you are a if you're going to be a true Ohioan, at least for a little bit, you're gonna have to uh get into the Sheets uh gang. Everyone loves Sheets. The what? I have no idea what that is. You never heard of Sheets? <laughs> no. No. Actually, this is a good question. I have no idea if there's sheets in Columbus, uh, but definitely up here in Cleveland. Uh, I thought you were going to say know. like Speedway or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, sheets is, I mean, it's it's similar-ish to Love's. I don't know. It's just like a gas station slash cheap food place, sort of. But it's very mm-hmm. popular in like Ohio, Pennsylvania, like lake erie corridor area huh weird i'm gonna have to seek one out now okay i mean it's don't like it's one of those things that people get fake hyped about so don't be like this is overrated because like it's a gas station (laughs) well you know what gas station's absolutely terrifying bucky's being down in (laughs) texas and going to one of those it's a mob like you can't get there it's always so crowded it's so overwhelming (laughs) i don't i can't do it i've never been to one but i've seen a lot of people talk about them online and just like how there's like bucky's themed everything like people want to buy the merch and everything and like how american is that that you want to buy merch for like an a gas station like something that sells gas and oil like well, and they have, um, like, they have dodgeballs. Like, I've seen, like, when we've down, been down at Nationals, people will buy the Bucky's dodgeballs and want to use them as bludgers. <laughs> it's insane. Bucky bludgers. Yeah. Ugh. I guess I'll have to, next time I'm down in Texas, when we host Nationals there in, like, seven years, I'll, I'll have to check out Bucky's. <laughs> yeah. Be, be ready to be overwhelmed. All right. Chris LeCompte would like to ask, best pre- and post-tournament snacks? Oh, gosh. So I'm a horrible example um, of this. I'm a big Funyun fan. I love a bag of Funyuns before I play. And that's pretty (laughs) messed up. But, like, that just, like, started when I played basketball. Um, So that's one. Another is, and this was, like, a big KU thing, McDonald's breakfast before every tournament. Oh no. But like I'm not getting like their what do they call them? They don't call them pancakes. Hot cakes. 
Yeah, I don't get their hotcakes. Like, I get, like, a sausage biscuit and some orange juice. But, yeah, we've always just done McDonald's breakfast, too. All right, what about post-tournament? Post-tournament. Oh, I love... It's not really a snack. Post-tournament, Olive Garden with the team, all those breadsticks, all those carbs that you just brain off, phenomenal. That's my jam. Yeah. Love, yeah, we would we would do that or Panera when I was in college. We would always seek out a Panera on the way home. Oh yeah, similar Anything calorie with bread. counts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Hannah Miller would not like to undermine all the serious questions. No worries, Hannah Miller. But where do you get leggings that don't slide down your hips while you play? So, it, the legging doesn't matter. What matters is. I wear leggings and then I wear like my short spandex over my leggings to keep my leggings up because you have the problem of your short spandex always ride up and your leggings always fall down. But when you wear them both, they cancel each other out. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this is a student at the engineering school at the Ohio State University. (laughs) Only the brightest and finest. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think I started doing that. I think... The first time I did that was because I was cold. I think that would have been, might have been my freshman year Midwest regionals when it was that horrible blizzard. And I think I just had like my like basketball like spandex in case we could wear shorts. And it was so cold. I just wanted to put everything on. So I put my leggings and then those spandex on. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's a game changer. Well, I hope that helps all the resident tall girls out there. Jeanette High would like to ask, what is your current favorite song? I would say the song that I listen to the most right now is Brooklyn by Gatsby. I've never heard of Gatsby. Can you give (laughs) us a a genre or anything? Um, no. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. Um, It's not like country or rap or anything. Yes, yes, that helps narrow it down. (laughs) I don't know. It's not really poppy or rock. Um... It's just like a chill song. I don't know. Imagine like a sunny day. (laughs) Sure. I don't know. The the only indications I have for like music that Rachel likes is that you like hardcore stuff and screamo. And that's like the only thing you've ever told me. (laughs) No, I like everything. I listen to that. And I also listen to country and rap. And I listen to everything. Except like bluegrass that would be ridiculous clearly that would be (laughs) ridiculous they don't have bluegrass in kansas they might i don't know just avoid it ignore it pretend like it's not there linnea schultz would like to ask who is your favorite athlete role model if you have one and why okay i'm assuming we're talking in general not just quidditch um yeah yeah the world okay so i don't know if this i kind of have two one is like has weird parallels to my life. So I'm going to talk about that one first. So when I was in elementary school, I had to do a report on someone and I did it on Lynette Woodard, who was the first female basketball player to play for the Harlem Globetrotters. And she went and played basketball at KU. And then she played for the Harlem Globetrotters for two years before the WNBA was born. And then she went and played for the Cleveland Rockers. Um, I don't know. She's just... Um, I thought it was really cool that she was the first female basketball player in the Harlem Globetrotters. She was just like, yeah, I'm a woman, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and then nice. um, the other one would be 
Liz Cambridge from um, the WNBA. And the only reason I really like her is because she, there's just all these clips of her saying, um, like, when people are like, well, didn't you foul that girl really hard? And she's like, get in the weight room. <laughs> Which, like, she's 6'8", but still, I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> I love that attitude. Those are great picks. Uh, I'd like to answer this one, too. I think my pick is Tobin Heath, who plays for the Ooh. Portland Thorns. Yeah, I like how dynamic and aggressive she is as a player. She plays forward for Portland Thorns in soccer. Uh, I I enjoy watching her play because of like how aggressive and and hard she goes in the box to try and get those goals. Oh yeah, oh she's so fun to watch. I don't watch a lot of soccer, but she's fun to watch. I don't either. I wish I watched more. I do of the soccer I do watch. I do watch the NWSL. I don't watch like MLS or Premier League or anything like mm. that. Yeah. Uh, Eric Morlock would like to ask, and this has to be some kind of in-joke, I'm sure of it, how afraid is Rachel of facing admirals at MLQ Championship on a scale from very to extremely? Yeah, I don't know if that's, like, referencing anything, to be honest. (laughs) Oh, Uh, I just assumed that this was, like, some joke between you guys or something. No, no. um, We can be friends if he wants to. No, um, well... Admirals and, and, like, Stampede didn't have a beef or something? I mean, we played them um, at Champs last year. That was our last game. We lost to Washington Admirals, but we weren't like, this sucks. We were like, yeah, we accept that. <laughs> um, so, well, first off, the, his scale is um, not appropriate <laughs> to start off. And um, I would say that uh, Cleveland Riff will never be afraid to face anyone because we... That's not how we do. I like that answer. That's good. <laughs> you hear that, Eric? Your uh, your rivalry or whatever you're trying to stir up is both unfounded <laughs> and nothing to her. <laughs> and also, I would like to remind you that all time, Riff is 1-0 and o against the Admirals. Oh, got him. <laughs> that, was, that was, the I think, one of the first games we played in the original championship, like the inaugural season of MLQ. Uh, it was very, very close, but Riff won. <laughs> so maybe he's the one with the beef. Maybe that's it. I don't know why you would hold that beef like five seasons later off of one close game. <laughs> maybe you've got issues. It's okay. I mean, if you're still holding <laughs> on to it, it's okay. But maybe like talk to someone about it. I don't know. Uh, Jeanette would like to know how it feels to be the most questioned person on this podcast. Um, (laughs) it's, it's so nice. People are so nice. It's kind of scary that people think I know a lot of things. Um, like I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, you clearly do. We've just talked for like an hour about things that you know. (laughs) That's fair. It's nice. It feels nice, Jeanette. Austin Pitts wants to know when you're moving back to Kansas. (laughs) Oh, gosh, don't get me started on my career and life choices because I have no idea. (laughs) Hey, big secret, that doesn't go away. Speaking as someone who's like five years older than you. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Let's be honest, a lot of my decisions in life have just been like, they're both not bad. I'll just pick one and hope it works out. So we'll see. Uh, Jeanette asks, what are your thoughts on cats? And to be clear to the listeners, we're talking about the movie Cats. 
any production that takes a man as beautiful as Idris Elba and puts fur on him deserves to not exist. Like that, it was so bad. <laughs> uh, I yeah, it wasn't good. I also like wasn't exactly paying attention the whole time, but I'm not sure that my opinion would have improved if I did. Was it a good movie? No. I wouldn't okay. even say it's a movie. It's like there's not really a plot. <laughs> they just are cats and they sing. Um, and one of them has ma- is magical. Oh, okay. That's news. I haven't seen cats, don't know the plot, never saw the stage show, have no desire to because they all look like weirdly unhuman. And some of them have like human qualities and some of them wear clothes and some of them wear fur over their fur. I don't know. It's real weird. Yeah, at one point, um, Rebel Wilson's character unzips her fur to reveal clothes on top of her more fur. So it just, nothing makes sense in that movie. That's super creepy. (laughs) Chris LeCompte would like to know, how do you prepare for a big tournament, e.g. Nationals, in the week prior? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to answer this. Like, this is how I know I should prepare. It's not necessarily how I do prepare. (laughs) It's okay. Um, Yada does not listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not scared of Yada. Okay. That's That's good. He's not listening to that, that I said that. Um, I would say that in terms of, like, working out, uh, um, I stop doing heavy lifting more so just to maintain. And I start to run a bit more um, so that my cardio is better. Um, and then I'm much more, um, deliberate in what I eat, but that's about it. I guess I watch film also. Um, it depends on the tournament. I guess if we're talking nationals, you're watching film on who's in your pool. And then if you kind of do like a mock who you think will end up in what pool, what teams you might face in the first few rounds of bracket play. And of course, like if you think you're going to go to the championship round, who you think you would face there. So you replace your bad eating with watching film. It's basically the only change. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris would also like to know what the best workouts are for keepers, chasers, and quafflers, and what skills they should work on. Oh, gosh. Workout-wise, I'm not really sure. I um, I guess in my mind, agility is really good. Um, so for me, I really try to keep playing basketball a lot. I think that, um, the side to side motions of cuts and playing defense for basketball translates really well, um, for quaffle carriers. Um, and then skill wise, um, I would just say like every quaffle carrier has to have good passing skills, both push pass and overhand pass. And a good way to drill that is the same as shooting at the hoops um, and moving targets. But I think that you have to have those skills down in a environment that's fast paced. Like, I don't think that drills at practice are as fast paced as they should be. Shosh would like to know what your favorite Quidditch memory is. Uh, I guess this can be different than your favorite experience. This is weird. I don't know. For some reason, uh, what sticks out in my head is last year at MLQ Championships, um, it was between games and the entire Stampede team was just hanging out together in the shade. And 
we were talking about, I think we were talking about New York because we were about to play them. And we used everyone's water bottles and cell phones as a, um, as the field. Um, and I don't know why, but that was just so fun because that was the most involvement I've ever had players in like asking questions about the strategy and like, cause they'd be like, well, what if they move here? And they'd like move someone's cell phone. I don't know. That just sticks out in my mind because it was like a learning environment. <laughs> That's very cute. It's not something I would expect someone to say for their best memory. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I've just had so many that that one sticks out as like being based in Quidditch and not just like bonding outside of maybe. That's fair. Yeah, I I don't mean to invalidate that (laughs) at all. It's just like, I guess it's something unexpected. Down to our final couple questions here. Zach Hewitt would like to know, what beer do you recommend players drink? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to go under the assumption we're talking about, like, what beer is good and not. Because in reality, if you're trying to get in shape, you just shouldn't drink beer. Um, So my favorite beer, my number one all-time favorite beer is by a brewery out of Iowa called Toppling Goliath. And it's their double IPA, uh, King Sue. What's also really cool is their can has, like, this big uh, T-Rex on it. But that's a beer that I take to, like... If I go to like a party or a gathering, I bring extra so other people can have it because I think it's so great. Um, and then, of course, because I'm from Kansas, I have to plug Boulevard Brewing from Kansas City. Um, it's such a good brewery. Both very specific. Could Can you get either <laughs> of those things like in the Great Lakes at all? I'm pretty sure Toppling Goliath is a pretty popular beer. Like is it? a okay. lot of times if you go, same with Boulevard, I think if you go to... Uh, liquor stores like probably not a grocery store that sells beer but liquor stores that you can get make your individual six packs usually they should have toppling goliath and boulevard all right you heard it here first uh (laughs) some disclaimer about please drink responsibly don't drink if you're under 21 etc etc just in case any idiot wants to come blame me or rachel for their (laughs) whatever and our final question here the mailbag comes from mary kimball uh why did you decide to coach Riff and what can fans expect from the teams this year? I decided to coach Riff because, well, one, I had a lot of fun coaching Stampede. And I think I'm finally at a point in my Quidditch career where I feel like I should be coaching. Like I captained KU a couple of years, but I don't think I knew what I was doing. You're Like I was on a college team. Um, but I think I'm finally at a point where I can be helpful to players in the community. And um, in terms of what fans can expect, kind of like what I talked about before, um, hopefully a team that's very deliberate in everything that they do and appears to be, um, at least appears to be on the same page as they play. (laughs) That's really what matters, as long as you look good (laughs) doing it, right? Exactly. All right, that'll do it for our mailbag segment this week. If you would like to submit to mailbags in the future, uh, check out our posts on the USQ Great Lakes region page. Uh, I'll post every week for mailbag, tagging our guests, and some of the topics we'll be talking about. So keep an eye out so you can have your question featured on the pod. All right, we'll take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll send this one home with how Rachel is surviving in quarantine and some other off-topic talk.
Rachel. Let's bring this one to a close. Uh, how are you staying sane during quarantine? Oh, gosh. Um, so I bought some rollerblades. Well, I got rollerblades for my birthday, I should say. And so I've been rollerblading and trying not to injure myself. Um, so when it's really nice out, I like to do that. But since I've been back in Ohio, it's been raining. So that's kind of sad. Are you out there with your full, like, elbow pads, knee pads, wrist guard, helmet, all that stuff? Um, I have all those things. And the first couple of times I had, I wore my knee pads. Um, and then I kind I only wore my knee pads and the wrist guards. And then I went down to just wearing wrist guards because I figured if I was going to break something, it would be my wrist. And now I'm confident in my skills, so I've stopped wearing any protective gear. But that's also probably when I'm going to start getting reckless because I'm comfortable. So, um, yeah, I'll be okay. <laughs> Unfortunate rollerblading accident. That's what's... Now's the time to get injured. <laughs> is it, though? Riff is on the horizon. How fast are you going to be able to heal a broken arm or whatever? Nah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Rub All some right, dirt you... in it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how about any media? Are you watching any shows, listening to particular music, podcasts, playing games, or watching movies? Um, I've been listening to Crime Junkie, that podcast. Um, my One of my friends here in Columbus told me about it, and I have been re-watching The Office for the thousandth time in my life because they took friends off of Netflix. <laughs> We continue our trend of bringing up the office on the pod. So thank you for that. Totally unprompted. Uh, so you are one of those people who watches it just repeatedly nonstop. Yeah. I mean, like, so friends, I used to watch like back to back. I would just have it on the background, like if I'm doing homework or work. Um, but the office, I'll watch a season and then like, I'll at least take a week break and watch something else. And then I'll go back to it. <laughs> It's comfort. Okay, what? It's, it feels like home. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. A lot of people feel that way. What do you watch when you're not watching The Office or Friends? Um, usually I watch whatever rom-com Netflix has put on. Um, or I try to watch their newer shows that they put out, but they only have one season. So that's why I only get away from The Office for like a week. <laughs> uh, any particular music that you're listening to? All of it. <laughs> All right. No, I don't think anything specific. Uh, as we wind down here, I'd like to give you a chance to offer some words of wisdom to the Quidditch community. Oh, gosh. Um, words of wisdom to the Quidditch community. I would say pay attention to the content that older players are putting out there right now. Like all of those midline episodes, um, and listen to the conversations in the forums, the productive conversations in the forums. Um, and just kind of think about how what players are saying in different regions might impact you or affect you. Um, but also realize that it's specific to the team, to the region. And also um, listen and get feedback from your female, from your female and gender nonconforming players. I think that a lot of players in those positions have a lot more to say than the community thinks, but they aren't asked or prompted and they might just not have the confidence to say what's on their mind. Very good words of wisdom. It's not about them having to force themselves into a space. It's about you making space for them. 
Exactly. Where can the fine people find you on social media? Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Grande Rach. <laughs> yep. Is that funny? I don't know. I took French once and I found out that that means tall. So that's my Twitter handle ever since. And now as I have taken to ending the podcast, I need you to give me a hot take. I think Rachel and Joey should have ended up together. He was so much better for her than Ross ever was. I'd like to thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Homes at Home, the only Great Lakes podcast. Uh, Thank you, Rachel, for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun. If you have questions or suggestions for episode topics or people you'd like to see on the pod, you can... Put it on the comments of this post that I post on every Sunday when I post the podcast in the USQ Great Lakes region page. And if you have any other feedback, I'd love to hear that as well. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. you doing (laughs) when my headphones fell out we're good oh that's why i don't like those they're just like i feel like they're so like you're gonna lose them yeah i'm also moving around a lot i don't know Mm. that's fair (laughs) i cut all this like inter chatter out i figured because no one cares to hear about this yeah